2019 report. I'm Amy Goodman. The first shipments of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine are arriving in all 50 states today after the Food and Drug Administration issued an emergency use authorization late Friday. The vaccine is being deployed as the U.S. tops 300,000 recorded deaths from COVID-19 today, with confirmed cases topping 16.2 million, both by far the highest numbers in the world. The first shipment will cover some 3 million people. Healthcare workers will receive the first doses this week, followed by nursing home residents and staff. FDA Commissioner Dr. Stephen Hahn said Sunday he hoped the first doses would be administered today. He also denied reports he was threatened by President Trump Friday to approve the vaccine quickly, saying the authorization was based on, quote, a thorough review of the science and data. Meanwhile, the coronavirus vaccine developed by Moderna is likely to be approved by the end of the week, according to Operation Warp Speed Chief Advisor Monsef Slawi. The U.S. government purchased another 100 million doses of the Moderna vaccine last week, which the Trump administration said would ensure continuous vaccine delivery through the end of June 2021. In other coronavirus news, President Trump signed a one-week government funding extension Friday as lawmakers continue to butt heads over a new stimulus bill and appropriations package. Without any legislative action, some 12 million people are set to lose unemployment benefits on the day after Christmas. Millions of Americans are facing eviction when a national moratorium expires at the end of this month. In Texas, prisoners in Harris County will now be allowed to attend virtual funerals for loved ones during the pandemic. The agreement was reached after rapper Trey the Truth pushed for the arrangement with the county's sheriff. COVID-19 deaths around the world have topped 1.6 million, with 72 million confirmed cases as many countries scramble to curb new waves of infections. Germany is going into what's being called a hard national lockdown that will continue through the holiday period after acknowledging existing coronavirus restrictions are not stringent enough to stem a surge in cases. Germany recorded over 20,000 new cases Sunday, a 10% jump over the previous week. East Asian countries have reported record numbers in recent days, with Japan topping 3,000 daily cases for the first time ever. South Korea recorded over 1,000 new infections Saturday as President Moon Jae-in called for action to counter South Korea's wave of cases. It's a very serious and emergency situation. There is nowhere to back down. It is a desperate time to devote all efforts to stop the spread of corona by focusing all quarantine capabilities and administrative power. In other international news, demonstrators in Albania held their fifth straight day of protest Sunday over the fatal shooting of a man by police who are enforcing a coronavirus curfew. Members of the Electoral College here in the United States are gathering in state capitals today to cast their votes for president in the latest step formalizing Joe Biden's election victory. Over the weekend, courts across the country handed Trump more defeats in his attempts to overturn his loss. The Supreme Court on Friday rejected by 9 to 0 a Texas-led effort backed by a majority of Republican House members to throw out millions of votes in four battleground states Biden won. 
On Saturday, a federal judge rejected a Trump campaign lawsuit in Wisconsin seeking to toss over 200,000 ballots. And the Georgia Supreme Court rejected the latest appeal by Trump's lawyers to overturn Georgia's election results. Despite all this, Trump told Fox News Sunday his efforts to challenge the election results are not over. Meanwhile, early voting in the two Senate runoffs in Georgia begins today. Democrats Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are challenging Republican incumbents Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. Democrats need to win both races in order to control the U.S. Senate. In Washington, D.C., at least four people were stabbed Saturday as thousands of maskless Trump supporters rallied on the National Mall demanding the reversal of Joe Biden's election victory. Police cordoned off parts of downtown Washington and used pepper spray and batons on counter-protesters who rallied in opposition to the Trump supporters. At least 33 people were arrested. The stabbings occurred just minutes after members of the far-right Proud Boys group tore a Black Lives Matter banner from one of the oldest African-American churches in Washington and burned it in the street. Another historically black church was similarly vandalized. In an October debate with Joe Biden, President Trump name-checked the Proud Boys and told them to, quote, stand back and stand by. Black Lives Matter D.C. organizer Anthony Lorenzo Green addressed Saturday's violence at a news conference. Our mayor and our police department allowed white supremacists to tear down and destroy property from a black church, burn it on the ground, stand back and watch it as it happened. D.C. police does not keep us safe. Mario Bowser does not keep us safe. Meanwhile, in Washington state, police arrested a far-right Trump supporter Saturday after he allegedly shot an anti-fascist counter-protester at competing demonstrations in the state capital, Olympia. A warning to our viewers, this headline contains graphic images of violence. In New Jersey, police arrested nine people Saturday at a demonstration outside the Bergen County Jail in support of prisoners who've gone on hunger strike to protest their treatment by immigration and customs enforcement. Police used smoke grenades and pepper spray to clear the solidarity rally. Activists are demanding the release of all prisoners during the COVID-19 pandemic. Here in New York, protesters held a march in support of the hunger strike Friday. At least six people were injured, some of them with broken bones. After a driver rammed her car into a crowd of protesters, she was arrested and charged with reckless endangerment. In India, farmers are holding a one-day hunger strike today as part of their ongoing mass protest against agricultural reforms. They're calling on Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government to withdraw the legislation which deregulates agricultural markets, giving corporations the power to set crop prices far below current rates and thus devastating the livelihoods of farmers. Solidarity protests with the farmers have sprung up around the world. In northern Nigeria, authorities are searching for more than 300 school children after gunmen on motorcycles raided their boarding school late Friday, opening fire on security forces before abducting them. Hundreds of Nigerian students from the all-boys secondary school in Katsina State avoided capture by fleeing into a nearby forest. The attackers did not make any demands, and their motive remains unknown. 
Fighting between Azeri and Armenian forces continued Sunday in the disputed region of Nagorno-Karabakh in breach of a November ceasefire. Both parties blamed the other side for violating the ceasefire that put an end to the bloody six-week conflict, which has led to thousands of deaths. Russia has deployed around 2,000 peacekeepers to the region. Israel and the South Asian country of Bhutan announced they're establishing full diplomatic relations. The agreement does not appear to be related to recent U.S. brokered normalization deals between Israel and four Arab nations, the UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and just last week, Morocco. To see our coverage of the Israel-Morocco deal, go to democracynow.org. Meanwhile, the U.S. has adopted a new official map of Morocco, which now includes the disputed territory of Western Sahara. Following its recognition last week of Morocco's sovereignty over occupied Western Sahara, what many consider to be Africa's last colony, which was part of the normalization deal between Morocco and Israel. To see our documentary on Western Sahara, go to democracynow.org. The European Union's chief negotiator said some limited progress has been made today on contentious Brexit negotiations. The EU and the United Kingdom agreed to extend Brexit negotiations beyond Sunday's deadline as the two parties struggled to make an agreement that would avoid a no-deal divorce at the end of this month. But both sides said over the weekend a deal is unlikely. This is British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. There are some serious and very, very difficult issues that uh, currently separate the, uh, the the UK from the EU, and uh, the best thing to do now for everybody is to follow up all the work that's been done uh, over the last four and a half years, colossal amount of preparation uh, at our ports everywhere across the UK, get ready to trade on WTO terms. Back in the US, the federal government has executed another man. 56-year-old Alfred Bourgeois, a Louisiana truck driver, was put to death by lethal injection Friday, one day after the execution of another black man, Brandon Bernard. Bourgeois had an intellectual disability which should have prohibited his execution, but an application to the Supreme Court for a stay was denied earlier Friday. He was sentenced over the 2004 abuse and murder of his two-year-old daughter. Bourgeois is the 10th federal death row prisoner to be executed since Trump revived the practice in July. There are three more executions planned for January before Trump leaves office. In related news, the American Institute of Architects said it's instituting new ethics rules that will bar members from designing spaces for executions or torture, including long-term solitary confinement. In Oklahoma, protesters are calling for justice following the police killing of Benny Edwards, a black man who struggled with mental illness. Edwards' family said he'd been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. In a video taken by a witness, three officers surround Edwards and fire at him as he appears to run towards one. But the officers kept shooting even after he started running away from them and don't appear to make an effort to de-escalate the situation. The officers have been put on paid administrative leave. In Louisville, Kentucky, another prominent figure in the protest demanding justice for Breonna Taylor was shot dead. 42-year-old business owner and activist Chris Smith was killed Friday, just weeks after 21-year-old Hamza Travis Nagdi was fatally shot. Like Nagdi, Chris Smith was inside a car at the time of the shooting. Loved ones and community members held a vigil for Chris Smith on Saturday. 
On Sunday, Trump renewed his threat to veto the National Defense Authorization Act, which the Senate overwhelmingly approved Friday after the House passed the $741 billion package earlier in the week. Both chambers passed the bill with veto-proof majorities. In the Senate, Bernie Sanders was one of the 13 lawmakers who voted against the bill and said, quote, we need to get our priorities right. At a time when we have enormous unmet needs in our country, we should not be spending $740 billion on the military more than the next 10 nations combined, Sanders said. The Trump administration said Sunday foreign hackers broke into government networks, including email servers for the Commerce and Treasury Departments, in what's being described as the biggest breach of U.S. government data in years. Administration officials acknowledged the hackers were likely from Russia's intelligence agency. They said a software flaw likely gave the hackers access to federal government networks for months. In sports news, the Cleveland Indians will change their name after years of protests from Native American advocates and fans. Tara Hauska, indigenous Ojibwe activist and co-founder of the organization Not Your Mascots, responded to the news by tweeting, quote, Finally, literal generations of Native advocates rejoice. Dehumanization of our people at the national sports level takes another hit. President Trump criticized the decision. And the world-renowned British novelist John le Carré has died at the age of 89. Le Carré established himself as a master writer of spy novels in a career that spanned more than half a century. He worked in the British Secret Service from the late 50s until the early 60s at the height of the Cold War, which was the topic of his early novels. His later works focused on the inequities of globalization, unchecked multinational corporate power, and the role national spy services play in protecting corporate interests. Le Carre was also a fierce critic of the U.S. response to the 9-11 attacks and the Bush administration's invasion of Iraq. In January 20, 2003, he published a widely read essay called The United States of America Has Gone Mad. In 2010, he read excerpts of that essay right here on Democracy Now! How Bush and his junta succeeded in deflecting America's anger from bin Laden to Saddam Hussein is one of the great public relations conjuring tricks of history, but they swung it. A recent poll tells us that one in two Americans now believes Saddam was responsible for the attack on the World Trade Center, that the American public is not merely being misled, it is being browbeaten and kept in a state of ignorance and fear. To see our full hour interview with John le Carré when we saw him in London, you can visit democracynow.org. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The Quarantine Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Tonight, is it the beginning of the end of the pandemic? The first COVID vaccinations administered in the U.S., the most ambitious vaccination effort in the nation's history now underway. Healthcare workers lining up to receive their shots. Among the very first, a nurse on the front lines in New York City. Her message, healing is coming. Tonight, inside the massive rollout mission, the vast network transporting millions of doses nationwide. The help arriving just as the U.S. surpasses a chilling milestone. 
300,000 COVID deaths. Hospitals under siege and now new crackdowns across the country. This just in, Attorney General William Barr resigning two weeks after saying there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud. The Electoral College voting to make Joe Biden's victory official. The president-elect addressing the nation tonight. A powerful nor'easter taking aim. It could be the biggest snowstorm to hit the northeast in years. And will it delay your holiday packages? The explosive new report of that plot to poison a critic of Vladimir Putin. What a massive investigation has uncovered. And beginning our week-long tribute to teachers amid the pandemic, going above and beyond to reach their students. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening. A flood of emotions as we come on the air tonight. Obviously, the new tangible hope many of us are feeling at witnessing the sight of Americans finally receiving a COVID vaccine. But even as the first shots were being celebrated before TV cameras and hospitals across the country, the incessant count of those we have lost in this struggle ticked above the 300,000 mark. Sadly, we're still losing badly to the coronavirus. But tonight, with vaccinations ramping up, we are now fighting back. Tom Costello on today's historic moment. In every corner of the country, Americans have been rolling up their sleeves today. Frontline medical workers in ERs, ICUs, and COVID units who've seen firsthand the pandemic's horrors. Among the first, Sandra Lindsay, a critical care nurse in New York. I feel hopeful today, I'm relieved. I feel like healing is coming. Because minor side effects can cause some people to miss a day or two of work, hospitals are staggering who gets it when. All done. Not too bad. At Methodist Health in Dallas, Teresa Mata, who cleans rooms at the hospital, was at the front of the line. They tell me I am the first person to the vaccine, so woohoo! Across the country, hope that this is a game changer. Once uh, we get enough people to get this vaccinated, we can kiss COVID goodbye. After overnight rush deliveries, the FedEx and UPS shipments began arriving early this morning. FedEx's first delivery was at 5.53 a.m. to a hospital in Boston. UPS's first was at 7.23 a.m. in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Nationwide, 145 sites received shipments today. By the end of the week, 2.9 million doses will arrive at 636 locations in all 50 states. The first priority, medical workers and nursing home residents and staff. Next up, teachers, firefighters, police officers, and food handlers. Then those 65 and older or with pre-existing conditions. About to turn 80, Dr. Anthony Fauci expects to get his shot within a week or two. I had been saying by my calculation sometime by the end of March, the beginning of April, that the normal healthy man and woman in the street who has no underlying conditions would likely get it. Vaccination started today in hard-hit New Orleans. NBC's Sam Brock talked to ICU nurse Macy O'Quinn. In the last nine months... How many times do you think you've cried tears of pain? Oh, a lot. Hundreds? Yeah, I could do it right now. The most ambitious vaccination program in history is only just beginning. Vaccinations at nursing homes should begin next week. Meanwhile, Moderna's vaccine could receive FDA approval within 10 days. Lester?
All right, Tom, thank you. And as those shipments are delivered across the country, we wanted to take a closer look tonight at one city and one hospital that received the vaccine. NBC's Gabe Gutierrez is in Columbus, Ohio. This was much more than a special delivery. It was history. In Columbus, Ohio, NBC News had exclusive access as this life-changing cargo was loaded this morning. The vaccine shipment driven overnight from UPS's hub in Kentucky after flying from the Pfizer plant in Michigan. Here, it was loaded onto this delivery truck. Rarely has cargo been this precious. Imagine being the UPS worker driving it. Someday my kids will tell their kids that when the vaccine was released, I was there delivering it. It's pretty special. Just after 9 a.m., the truck pulled into the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Then, shot after shot after shot. 30 frontline workers vaccinated in minutes. This is the lifeline for me. Is the lifeline for our country and our world. Philip Grudowski is a nurse in the COVID ICU. You're exhausted? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm tired of patients dying with their family members on the phone and not able to see them. I'm tired of being worried about bringing it home to my three boys and my husband. Um, sorry. Yeah. Dr. Mercy Dixon works in the ER. When you got that shot in the arm today, what went through your head? I thought, this is amazing. Minorities, and especially the black community, are disproportionately affected um, in terms of deaths and COVID. And the vaccine, to me, is an opportunity to close some of that gap. Now, this hospital will distribute the rest of its 975 doses. Who knew that something so small could loom so large? Gabe, I know you've covered some rough moments in this pandemic. What was it like to see the vaccines finally roll today? Well, Lester, it's been 329 days since the first COVID case was diagnosed in the U.S., and we've been through so many hospitals throughout this country over the past few months. This is the most hopeful day I've seen all year. Lester? All right, Gabe, thanks very much. Many Amer Get to Dick's Sporting Goods now for our biggest outerwear event of the season. Get up to 50% off jackets for the whole family. Healthcare remains skeptical about getting vaccinated. Federal health officials even plan to launch a national campaign to boost confidence. Stephanie Gosk reports. We know you probably have some questions about COVID vaccines. Washington State wants to answer people's questions. Just one of 18 states that told NBC News they will be rolling out vaccine confidence campaigns. While 39% of U.S. adults say they probably would not get vaccinated. We need to spend every minute we have between now and vaccine availability, building that trust. Genesis Healthcare runs more than 300 nursing home facilities in 24 states. I know that there are people within our organization and within society in general that have a lot of unanswered questions. Melissa Williams is a nurse in Philadelphia. I don't know if I'm going to be the first one to line up to take it. That's what I'm saying. Am I going to get it in the future? Yes. The president of the American Nurses Association enrolled himself in a vaccine trial to set an example. Have you heard people say, I'm not taking that thing? Definitely, I, I, I truly have. Ernest Grant worries about the black community as well, where there is less vaccine trust than the wider public. Seeing more black and brown uh, people, maybe celebrities even, rolling up their sleeves, that's going to go a long way. 
others will look to their doctors for answers. Physicians and other healthcare workers are vaccines best ambassadors. And our advice to our patients carries a lot of weight when they make vaccine decisions. The wait for most will be months. It's safe, it's okay, and we need to do it. Those who aren't first are watching closely. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News. The vaccines point to a brighter future, but the here and now only became darker today when we crossed that 300,000 COVID death threshold. If I were to begin reading aloud all the names of those we've lost nonstop, it would be 10 days before I finished. Tonight, Miguel Almaguer on these desperate hours. Inside some of the very hospitals where vaccines arrive today, COVID patients are tonight fighting for their lives. With our nation surpassing yet another grim milestone, 300,000 deaths, an American is now dying every 36 seconds. A vaccine will not help those sick now or those who become infected before the rollout is complete. The vaccine right now is not a substitute for the normal standard public health measures of wearing a mask, keeping your distance, avoiding congregate crowded sections, and particularly indoors. As many hospitals reach a breaking point, some using overflow surge tents in parking lots, an alarming number are at 90% capacity. With some of California and nearly all of Mississippi running out of ICU beds, over the last five days in the U.S., we added one million new infections. In New Jersey, one out of every 500 residents have died from COVID. Trying to slow what appears to be a surge in New York City, a ban on indoor dining took effect today. But out west, protest and defiance as some restaurant owners refuse to close outdoor services. There are livelihoods and lives being lost. Last month, nurse Lindsay Fairchild was on the other side of the front lines taking this picture from a window as her father slipped away. In taking that photo, like this is the reality of what COVID really looks like. Tonight, heartbreak amid hope. A vaccine is here, but for most Americans, it is still out of reach. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. Now to the other major breaking news tonight. President Trump announcing Attorney General William Barr has resigned effective next week after Barr contradicted his claims of voter fraud. Hallie Jackson joins us now. Hallie, what do we know about this? Lester, it's unusual an attorney general would leave this close to the end of an administration, but it is not altogether unexpected. The president has been fuming for weeks, according to sources familiar with his thinking, after Barr publicly said he has not seen widespread voter fraud so far. People close to Barr say for his part he was considering departing by the end of the year, even before that. The president tonight describes their relationship as very good, and Barr's resignation letter is very complimentary, praising what he calls President Trump's historic record. Barr is set to leave December 23rd, and the deputy attorney general will step in until Inauguration Day. Lester. Allie Jackson, thanks very much. President-elect Joe Biden took another critical step toward the White House today with the vote by the country's electors, known as the Electoral College, formalizing his victory. Here's Pete Williams. This is what the actual vote for president looks like. 20 votes for the Honorable Joseph R. Biden for President Donald J. Trump. Joseph R. Biden has received 16 votes for President of the United States. 538 presidential electors met around the country, pledged to vote for the winner of the popular vote in their states. It's not just our tradition, but to show uh, folks 
uh, especially now more than ever, um, our system works. This process, nearly as old as the nation, has never before received this much attention. In Michigan, the state capital where the electors met was closed to normal business over what officials said were security concerns. As expected, Joe Biden received 306 electoral votes, Donald Trump 232. You know, in this battle for the soul of America, democracy prevails. We, the people, voted. Faith in our institutions held. The number of election lawsuits is now down to a trickle without a single significant Trump victory. And legal experts say after today's vote, the ability to change the result in court is gone. Everything up to now has been a prelude to this official moment today. And, to, and the Constitution makes today both the day and the last day. The Electoral College ballots now go to Washington to be counted in a joint session of Congress January 6th. But President Trump still refuses to concede. And today, one of his closest advisors told Fox News that his supporters will conduct their own electoral voting. An alternate slate of electors in the contested states is going to vote, and we're going to send those results up to Congress. This will ensure that all of our legal remedies remain open. But there is no way to present any such alternative slate of electors officially. And besides, it would take a vote of both the House and Senate to accept them, and that won't happen with the Democrats in control of the House, Lester. Pete Williams tonight. Thank you, Pete. The Department of Homeland Security became the latest federal agency reported to have been a target of Russian hackers breaking into its email system. The Treasury and Commerce Departments have also reportedly been targeted. The full extent of the cyber attack is not yet clear. We'll turn now to the explosive new details about the poisoning of a Russian opposition leader who was almost killed last summer. It's said to be the strongest evidence yet that the Russian government was behind the attack. Richard Engel has more for us. Alexei Navalny, an outspoken critic of Vladimir Putin, was on a flight over Siberia when he suddenly began to moan in agony. German doctors say he was poisoned by a nerve agent. Behind the attack, a special chemical weapons division of the Russian intelligence service, the FSB, according to the investigative news site Bellingcat, which analyzed over 100,000 phone and internet connections some bought on the black market. Christo Grozev is the lead researcher. The thing that totally shocked me was that Russia maintains a murder machine within the downtown of Moscow that uh, uh, employs 30 people who are trained uh, medics plus trained chemists plus trained muscle. Author Andrei Soldatov is one of the world's leading experts on Russian intelligence. What do you make of these claims these accusations by Bellingcat. Are they credible? Well, yes, I think they are uh, actually very credible. A spokesman for the Kremlin once again denied involvement in Navalny's poisoning and that it maintains a special chemical weapons hit team. But experts say today's report could set back Russia's activities by forcing the Kremlin to do damage control. Lester. All right, Richard, thanks. We're watching for a major winter storm that could be the strongest in years to hit the Northeast. Al Roker is tracking it. Al, what can we expect and when? Lester, this could be the strongest snowstorm for the Northeast in over five years. 46 million people at risk with winter storm watches up from New England to the Appalachians. The storm system comes out of the southern plains. By Wednesday, it reaches the east coast with a coastal low forming, bringing snow and wind. The impacts will lessen overnight, but before it's all over, we could be looking at two to six inches of snow in D.C., six to ten in Philadelphia, upwards of 18 in Harrisburg, and a foot from New York to Hartford with less in Boston.
Austin. We're going to watch the track very closely. Lester. All right, Al, I know you will. Thanks very much. In just Life is full of challenges, but you don't have to pass out in the world. A big storm could delay your holiday gifts. What do you need to know? With that winter storm we told you about taking aim, our Jolene Kent explains how the blast of snow during this very busy time of year could prevent your holiday packages from arriving on time. It's the perfect storm for a holiday shipping nightmare. A historic surge in online shopping and rough winter weather bearing down on the East Coast just 11 days till Christmas. As major carriers also juggle COVID vaccine deliveries to hospitals across the country. Compared uh, to normal shipping volume, uh, this year's Christmas volume has been unheard of and uh, unprecedented that we've ever seen. Facing Mother Nature's latest wrath, UPS tells NBC News that its own meteorologists have contingency plans in place to help route packages around the storm, adding they're completely focused on delivering packages on time. Tomorrow is the deadline for ground shipping with UPS, FedEx, and the post office. Friday, the last day for first-class mail, and next Monday for three-day shipping with FedEx and UPS. After that, you'll have to get creative to avoid spending even more on shipping. To avoid shipping entirely, you should buy online and pick up in store. Use a rapid delivery service like Uber or Instacart to get your gifts on the same day. Or call up a local small business in your community and arrange for curbside pickup. Lester? All right, Joe, thanks. Up next, the growing backlash following that controversial op-ed about the next First Lady. As Dr. Jill Biden prepares to assume the role of First Lady, a controversial op-ed in the Wall Street Journal criticizing her doctor title sparked a firestorm and a national conversation about sexism. Here's Andrea Mitchell. Like many people with doctorates, Jill Biden calls herself Dr. Biden. Think of Dr. Kissinger. But Joseph Epstein, a former university English instructor who has a bachelor's degree, argued Biden should drop the doctor from her name because she is not a medical doctor. From the moment I stepped into the community college, I thought, this is it, I'm home. Dr. Biden earned her doctorate in education from the University of Delaware and has taught at community colleges for 35 years. I have always loved the sounds of a classroom. The op-ed drawing fire in part for its tone. Epstein addressing Biden in his opening line as Madam First Lady, Mrs. Biden, Jill, kiddo. Perhaps he should know better than to mess with a woman who body blocked a protester from getting to her husband last March. A spokesman for Biden calling the column disgusting and sexist. Doug Emhoff, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's husband, tweeting, This story would never have been written about a man. Michelle Obama writing, All too often our accomplishments are met with skepticism, even derision. Biden taking the high road, tweeting, together we will build a world where the accomplishments of our daughters will be celebrated rather than diminished. The Wall Street Journal editorial page editor called the criticism overwrought. Dr. Biden, known to her students as Dr. B, plans to continue teaching as First Lady. Lester. Okay, Andrea, thank you. Up next, keeping kids in school and together, one teacher's... We're dedicating our Inspiring America series this week to teachers in this tough time. Here's Kevin Tibbles on one teacher thinking outside the box. Here, learning has no boundaries. Fourth grade teacher Lindsay Earl wanted her Pewaukee, Wisconsin class to stay safe. This 
time we're gonna do this so she moved outdoors i think when children are outdoors there's definitely more attention and focus the three r's along with fresh air Lindsay's family even helped build the structure it's more fun because we get to be outside soon the whole school decided to join in in life things are thrown at us all the time and we need to learn to adapt 11 classrooms all surrounded by 14 acres of pure mother nature it was kind of fun to, um like doing all um the wood stuff and wisconsin winters are cold we brave it we stay warm but education is all about adapting just like adapting to the pandemic <laughs> my great grandmother said worrying is like a rocking chair you can go back and forth but it doesn't get you anywhere when you're learning outdoors the sky's the limit. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Pewaukee, Wisconsin. Putting on those thinking caps. Hey, a programming note, tomorrow on Today we'll be live from food drives across the country, sharing ways you can help from home. That's Nightly News. Thank you for watching, everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other.